On this episode of Pathways to Wellbeing, we will focus on identifying burnout in all stages of practice. Taking time, short, long, whatever you need, it's so important to keep ourselves in balance. We don't need to deny ourselves and we can honor ourselves and we can find our voice and we do that by supporting each other to, to practice a new way of relating to self and other. Dr. Georgia Tetlow maintains both a thriving patient care practice and mentoring practice for clinicians in transition to a functional medicine model. Over the past decade, she has pioneered a self-care curriculum for practicing clinicians. Dr. Tetlow mentors providers to honor self as the key to stress reduction in a practice. Dr. Reva Robinson is a physician and holistic nutrition coach with a medical degree and a degree in kinesiology. Dr. Robinson has faced burnout both in her professional and personal life, which inspired her to find new ways of healing both for herself and for her patients. She has overcome many obstacles and practice-related burdens to rediscover her purpose in medicine. Fun fact, she is also a bodybuilder and competes regularly. Burnout is largely the result of workplace stressors, right? And these are things that clinicians at any stage of practice can relate to. Things like workload burden, excessive hours, the burden of complex patient-related decisions, and patient mortality as well. So as caregivers, we are invested in the health and the lives of our patients. So how can we begin to deal with psychological factors that can contribute to burnout? We are so fortunate to have Drs. Robinson and Tetlow with us today to help answer these questions. So I'd love to start hearing from you both how might burnout manifest throughout different practice stages? And selfishly, as a doctor younger in my career uh, and experiencing some burnout, this is a fascinating question. So uh, Reva, let's start with you. How do you, how, from your perspective, how does burnout relate to different stages you might be in your clinical practice? Yeah, so I experienced burnout from the beginning of my medical career, starting from medical school. And for me, it was, I kind of went into medical school already not being in the best frame of mind because I had already sensed from an early age that there was a lot of dysfunction in our healthcare system and that I, there wasn't so much of a focus on wellness. And so I, you know, being the child of two physician parents, I was urged strongly, you can say, to follow that medical path. And when I entered it, it was confirmation of all of those doubts that I had had before. And we all know how hard medical school is. It's one of the most challenging things that you can ever experience. And so within, I would say, a few months of my um, the first year of medical school, I started experiencing just a feeling withdrawn. And that was something that I hadn't really experienced before in any type of academic setting where I didn't want to be around my peers. I had that constant sense of comparisonitis that, you know, I'm not a good enough student. I'm not going to be able to pass this next exam. I'm spending so much of my time and effort on something that I don't feel completely aligned with, but yet everybody else seems to have it figured out. It was this constant churning, this constant 
ruminating in my mind and that alone was burning me out mentally aside from the physical and mental exhaustion of studying all day long and so whenever you know i reached out to somebody for help i reached out to we had like one um general mental health um visit that we got complimentary as med students from the mental health services and when i went there and i was met with kind of just a casual like oh well this is normal you know you're probably going through an adjustment disorder and you know if this continues we might start some prozac or you know some type of antidepressant antidepressant to help you out and that in itself was sent me further into that spiral you know i wasn't acknowledged for the this mental struggle that I was going through. I didn't have any type of tools presented to me to help figure out like, how do I find space for myself? How do I create, you know, better rituals? You know, how, like I knew nothing about any type of mindfulness routines and that could have been a huge game changer for me. Instead, I kept pushing through, you know, the next years of my medical career, going deeper and deeper and deeper into a hole where I felt disconnected from who I was at my core, because I knew from a very young age that there was more to medicine than just grinding and hustling and being a martyr for everyone else. You know, there was no emphasis on the physician first or the medical student first so that we can show up for our patients and higher service and be grounded. And so that <laughs> from medical school onward into my first year of residency or only year of residency, I should say, it was a continued spiral downward until finally, and this was, you know, the, uh, the milestone in my medical career to finally say enough is enough. You know, I knew that the type of medical education that I wanted, I didn't know where I would find it. Eventually I found it with the ISM, but I knew that I couldn't continue on this path because I was depressed. I was, you know, just overwhelmingly exhausted to the core. Like I could sleep for 10 to 12 hours go on you know the rounds with the attending and fall asleep standing up like it was so bad that like i knew that i had to find some type of escape and so after you know entering uh, a second year residency within a few months i resigned and that was me finally taking a stand to do what was best for me and find what i needed uh, for my own medical path. And that's when the healing really began. Yeah, I, I like how you mentioned comparisonitis. Is that what you called it? That should be a new ICD-10. I think so many <laughs> of us will have suffer from comparisonitis. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. Georgia, how about you? Do you have some insight for us about how burnout might change over the course of our different stages of practice? Yeah, and I also just want to say uh, listening, and it's a pleasure to be working with you, Dr. Riva, and to also hear you share your story in a vulnerable way where you are sharing your humanity and you're also saying, well, this is what happened for me and this is how it started and this is how it continued. 
And I think there's something in that strength that comes through just being able to say, this didn't work for me and I made these different choices. There is something in our culture in medicine that I was really scared when I first uh, embarked on my journey of applying and getting accepted to medical school. There was so much excitement and expect positive expectation, but I was also scared of losing myself. And then I, I did also go through a period of realizing, oh, okay, I'm getting these strong messages, which are, I'm, uh, there is a competition. There is mm -hmm. a comparison. There is a, this is not a, a community where we're necessarily all working together all the time. Um, and uh, you don't put yourself first. You put your work and your studies first and your performance first. And we don't want you to make a mistake and mistakes are bad. And there is something implicit that I noticed when I first started my training where it's really takes a strong person to also stand in your own experience and not feel bad and not feel any sense of shame for just being human and not necessarily going with this herd experience and having the expert, having the performance and having the inner experience that you're supposed to be having. So I would say for myself, I really wanted to be a member of the community and I decided to embark on really basically becoming a member of this medical culture. And what I've been doing since that time is figuring out what are the pieces that are healthy that I want to keep and what are the things that don't serve. And I would say that um, it's uh, heartening and what Reva's doing when she's sharing, I feel there's a, a that, that practicing that humanity and that vulnerability, I really do think is the antidote because it connects us with others. There's a strength that comes through with speaking with, this was my experience and it wasn't the one that I was supposed to be or what they were expecting. If you go to a counselor and the counselor doesn't say there's something wrong with how we're conducting our educational environment, they say, oh, well, you'll just, you'll, you'll get over that. Okay, anything else? <laughs> so um, I think that uh, it's especially hard for what I've noticed as a physician is that we have very difficult conversations to have every day. It's not just difficult patient conversations. As a business owner, I have difficult conversations that I have every day with my staff and my provider staff. And I need to give feedback and I need to uh, be a business owner and manage many needs. And then the conversations that I have personally when I'm with loved ones, uh, I'm managing my own commitment to my work and how hard I work with also managing the commitment to my own relationships as a partner, as a family member. And I think that there's um, a whole other level of uh, the different phases that we go through personally uh, different phases of our career when our family is evolving and our family needs and family role is evolving. And there's a lot of challenging moments. So uh, depending on where we are personally and how our, our family needs are shifting and also our ability to source our own strength to validate our experience and also speak the truth, uh, not put all of our energy into a brave face. I'm fine, I'm good, everything's okay takes a lot of energy to be something. And can we actually uh, be ourselves and also be vulnerable? So I'm, I'm delighted at the tone and at our, our conversation. Yes, absolutely. I think you both highlighted something really insightful and important, which is we tend to normalize, um, we, we normalize burnout, we normalize feeling sad or down or that you've lost yourself but it's interesting that we don't normalize needing help that we don't normalize needing 
some more self-care. So from your perspective, how can self-care become more normative during things like residency, early practice? How can the culture of asking for support be normalized in a hospital or practice setting? Uh, Reva, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, so you know, I feel like so much of it is your environment. You know, so the one thing that I'm so proud and grateful that I did for myself during medical school was go to the gym every day. Like that was the one thing, my outlet, like no matter what happened, I knew that I had a gym right there on campus where I could escape and do something that made me feel connected back to myself. And so being able to create a space where self-care is accessible, where it's not something like you have to go out to get that, you know, and I wish, <laughs> and me being the gym junkie that I am, like, I wish it would have been a nicer gym, but at least it was something that I had to go to every day. You know, it was, you know, the one place where I knew that, you know, whether it was an hour or two hours, my stresses could be elsewhere and I could be present for myself. So I think, you know, having a you know, I think it should be mandatory that every facility have some type of exercise space, have some green space, have some place like a meditation sanctuary or something where people have the option to find that tranquility. Because otherwise, if you're just going up and down those sterile halls of the hospital and the school and you're just, you know, constantly focusing on everyone else's needs, like, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to the bathroom stall? And, you know, I did that a few times or just like escape and like cry your eyes out for a little while. Like, you know, you need there, we need more safe spaces, more spaces to feel like a regular person as when you're always surrounded by, you know, the, the hospital walls or whatever it may be, you feel almost like you're imprisoned. At least I did. I felt like, you know, these walls are closing in more and more and more the longer that I stay here. So, you know, being able to have access is the first step. And I think, you know, being able to bring in the leaders who live it and represent it. You know, we had great faculty at Baylor College of Medicine. I'm so grateful for the people. One of the professors almost, you know, with a sense of pride at you know, I'm the head of this department. I have this obligation. I slept two hours last night. I just came back from surgery and now I'm teaching you. And it was just like, okay, like, is this what I'm supposed to be stepping into? You know, this is one of the chief faculty and this is, you know, our mirror. This is what I'm supposed to be stepping into in the next few years. I don't want that for myself. You know, I don't want to not sleep. Yeah, I don't want to feel like my life is just a constant hamster wheel and I'm going from one thing to the next and never having space for myself. But, you know, we need leaders who are taking care of themselves, who are choosing different paths where they can blend the work and the life better. We need people who reflect all different walks in life so that we can find ourselves within them because I never saw myself in anybody. So that also left me feeling more isolated, more withdrawn, and 
not able to find those tools that I needed to thrive or survive in a better way in medical school. Yeah, thank you for mentioning. We need to normalize that people need support, people need help, they need avenues to find themselves during these particularly challenging, exhausting times. Uh, Georgia, how about you? Any thoughts on you know normalizing the need for support and, and self-care? Yeah, I think that I've learned this uh, because I have a personal need to create balance for myself, but also as a business owner where also I'm supervising other healthcare providers. One thing structurally that I've really tried to put in place and that it helps me as well is that it's really important for the staff, the provider staff to know that cross coverage is in place. So if something happens and they need to call out or a life event occurs, that we have that coverage in place. And you know the clinic needs to continue to run without us and that life continues and that there is a, a forgiveness and, a, and, a, and a, uh, a safety net so that we can have life experiences and, and that things can continue with good, you know, continued good quality care. Um, also, I think that uh, it's really hard for some of my providers and for me to actually take a sick day. Now, this is not true for everyone. Some people have more confidence in just if they don't feel well, if there's a reason for them not to come in, they just call out sick. And I can say personally, I had a major life event, which was incredibly challenging, difficult, emotionally painful. And um, I actually had a miscarriage. I miscarried twins. And it was extremely um, emotionally challenging and draining experience and uh, with some very unexpected turns. And I didn't miss a day of work. And going through that experience and seeing how I was and the choices that I made really helped me to see that that idea of having a sick day and having time for myself and knowing and feeling safe that if I need to not be there, everything is gonna be taken care of. It really helped me see myself and to see, oh, okay, something for me to address and to look at and to also to make sure that this is something I'm modeling for other people. I'm modeling for administrative staff and provider staff how to be healthy. And these wake-up calls and making mistakes is how I learn and how we learn. Um, another a structural issue that I've, you know, something that I've tried to create to help myself, which also helps the functioning of a business and the healing environment of the clinic, is I want to have a friendly culture where each person matters. And we're very careful about understanding and, and uh, making sure people do feel comfortable um, to, with the, the clinical manager that we have in our clinic is as a a wonderful, friendly, people quality, and approachability and an accessibility. And that's a very important uh, skill uh, to choose in uh, an, my employee staff member who's managing others. Uh, we also have daily group meditation. And that's uh, not something that's required because you can't require meditation. But we've got the administrative staff and all the provider staff participating every day. And then each of us will lead it. It's not just led by one person. And there was a period of time when I first introduced it where my provider staff did not attend. And then that was a process of not making anyone wrong and understanding what were the dynamics that were occurring, where people didn't feel they had time or they didn't feel it included them or that it wasn't important or, um, you know, and, and also not making them wrong, uh, but also creating the conditions so that we could all attend and uh, so that it can be managed and, and brief enough and 
uh, something that was accessible for everyone that we could all participate in as an important scheduled time in the clinic. I also uh, have made a, a time in the schedule for some authentic communication within the providers themselves. So that means we discuss things that are hard. We talk about things that are challenging. We talk about things that we're not doing well. <laughs> we need input. This can be about maintaining healthy boundaries with patients. Um, working with boundaries in functional medicine is different from a conventional medicine model where you have more contact sometimes between appointments and you need to manage expectations and also your own time boundaries and self-care. So we talk about how to manage time with pre preparation for appointments, documentation time, um, ways in which uh, we're doing personal and professional development and growth. Sometimes that's shared, sometimes that's individual. So as professionally appropriate in a business setting, we talk authentically and also support each other and are uh, helping to lift each other up. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your personal experience with really it's it's boundaries and I think you've really highlighted the importance of boundaries and what we know from practicing medicine is there's we spend time in the office with the patient but then there's so much time outside of that encounter whether it's prepping charting portal messages um, that takes time and if we have competing interests with family or our personal development that can be really challenging and so uh, I'm glad that you brought up uh, kind of this intro into having healthy boundaries. One of the most common pain points that we get from our conventional medicine colleagues is this concept of the treadmill practice where you see patient after patient after patient. And that sounds exhausting, but it's the reality for many clinicians. So Georgia, what, what kind of resources do you have to support clinicians who are currently in these treadmill type practices or what advice can you give to create better balance? You've already highlighted some tools, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I think that one thing that's very important is that um, it's very important to recognize if we don't manage uh, some of the mental health conditions that we're experiencing as clinicians. So if we have untreated mental health issues, it's more likely that that's gonna negatively impact our professional reputation and also our practice rather than just reaching out for help early. And so that's very important. So when you're in a treadmill practice, when issues are coming up and they come up in life, whether or not we're in the most well-designed practice or when we're in more of a treadmill practice, when we have um, quite a heavy work expectation and also where uh, the, uh, the way that work is conducted and the way that people are communicating and working together is, you know, it can be pretty tough. So uh, I did want to communicate that uh, many clinicians are concerned and they express concerns to me when I meant I have lots of physician uh, mentees, people who come and mentor in our clinic and learn how to apply functional medicine. They're concerned about state licensing boards and about reporting personal problems. You know, what's going to happen if I actually seek uh, help for depression or for anxiety or for panic or if I've had uh, and if I ask for help? And many states have updated their reporting so that only functional impairments and malpractice issues need to be reported so that you don't have to be penalized for um, getting a diagnosis or for receiving treatment. And a lot of clinicians are confused about that and they're scared and, and they might pay cash for um, diagnoses and treatment when actually some of those regulations have really been updated. So, I also think it's when we're in a treadmill practice, we 
uh, sometimes don't even think of the possibility of volunteering or, or giving of ourselves. And one thing that I've noticed is that caring about ourselves is, um, it is actually more about the we and also being involved in these meaningful endeavors where we are connecting with others and also sharing our values. Um, in my own clinic, we have brought in um, some uh, a consultant who's working with us about a mindful anti-racism training. And this has just changed so many dynamics in our clinic where we're discussing things at a different level and working with strategic partners. And that's actually a more of a giving of, giving of ourselves and, and working towards a higher goal. Giving back, I think, is important. My keys for if one is in a treadmill practice are really about routine and rituals and relationships. So it takes a certain amount of discipline for me to see how I can create my own joys rather than my own suffering. So how do I create a schedule um, where I fit myself in, where I could actually begin the idea of like that I, my needs are that I'm first. And this is something that feels very alien to healthcare providers, the fact that we put ourselves first. I'm new at this. Uh, is there a sacred time every day for silence, even if it's for only a few minutes? And when are we, can we have that contact with that unlimited part of ourselves every day? Um, when is there a time for us to let down and release those pressures? And Reva was talking about how she uses that time or use that time at the gym for that. When are the breaks in the day? Uh, is, am I taking a break and at any time? Or also, when is lunchtime? Am I taking lunch? And we talk about this as a provider team. Am I setting a timer? for patient preparation. How much time is there for me to prepare my patients and document my patients? What time does my day supposed to end? And do I actually end the day at that time and sort of keeping track of that? Um, I also have some additional resources I would be very happy to share at the right time, Kalia, that have to do with things that we offer uh, to groups of clinicians online and via Zoom that have been very helpful for me and also to others. Would love to share more about those. Great, thank you for so many of these clinical pearls. How can we build space in our day to focus on ourselves? Uh, Reva, you talked about sometimes when you were seeing patient after patient after patient, the only time you got was to take a moment in the restroom just to decompress for a minute and maybe some tears were involved. So based on your experience, uh, Georgia already you know, gave us several kind of pro tips. Anything that you would add to you know, how do we cultivate a, a culture of self-care in the office? One thing I would add, and Georgia, you've done such a great job of creating this within your practice, is I have a solo practice. It's me, myself, and I doing my boutique concierge practice. I don't have any staff yet. Um, but one of the things I would recommend to you know, people like me who might be doing functional medicine in a telemedicine space is to have your tribe of mentors and your tribe of like masterminders, maybe or people who you can go to, to, uh, and especially outside of just the medical career is it so, I found it so important to have alternate, alternative perspectives on how to navigate our way through the stressors of running a business is, you know, right now, you know, given the unique COVID situation, we're all dealing with a lot of unique stressors, which we haven't faced before. And so I've had to restructure how I've operated my practice. And, you know, I'm grateful that I do have the flexibility to 
make those shifts as I needed. But I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not had people in you know, some of the personal development programs that I've done who I could turn to. Uh, some of the incredible mentors, shout out to my dear mentor, Gladys, who's been just a guiding light for me for the past couple years. So, you know, seeking help within your career and within your space, but also people who can broaden your mind to how to operate um, within your work, within uh, your family, because we're, we're not in this alone. And it's so easy to feel in the midst of the stress that it's just you carrying the burden of everything on your shoulders. And it's, you're the only one who has to figure it out. You have to carry it. And there's no end to whenever you're going to be able to put this burden down. And so some, you know, other things I would recommend for people um, is to, you know, create that sacred space for you within your home. Like I have a lovely patio, which I get to escape to. And sometimes I'll just sit on the sofa out there and stare at the sky and just watch the clouds move by for a few minutes. You know, so have that, you know, and going back to the environment thing, creating that sacred space for yourself within your work environment so that you can, whether it's just for, you know, sipping a glass of water between your client or patient consultations or taking an extended break, you have that sacred outlet to uh, uh, restore yourself. And yeah, the, the other thing that comes to mind is, you know, having uh, a regular vacation. And that's something that all of us, I think, are needing like a six month long vacation after what we've been experiencing. But, you know, it might seem like the work is never going to end. And there's so much to do always, especially when you're a business owner. So, you know, giving yourself not just those breaks in your day, but something to look forward to on the calendar. It might be a little mini vacation for the weekend, but having something so that you know that there is going to be a temporary pause and the demand. I like to go unplugged. Actually, I was kind of unplugged this past weekend, which was so nice to just know that there's not going to be that demand for your time and that you can be completely present with your loved ones or even just completely present with yourself for a span of time. It's so key. Like one of my goals for the rest of this year is to have at least one week of vacation every quarter. So uh, Georgia, Kalia, please hold me accountable to that. <laughs> make sure that I actually do it because we all need help. But taking time, short, long, whatever you need, it's so important to keep ourselves in balance. I also wanted to add, because it's specific to this question that you're asking myself and Reva about treadmill practices. And I was talking with a colleague, a physician colleague this week, and because of COVID and also the work distribution of duties, uh, and the life issues that are going on in her clinician team. There's two people, there's a maternity leave issue that's come up for two, and there's a new hire that's delayed her start date because of a maternity issue. And my friends um, actually has a daughter who contracted COVID. And she was trying to figure out how to handle the work expectations. And she's getting emails from the administrator saying, you need to close your charts, you need to get this done. While she's staying at home caring for a child who's in quarantine, she's got another daughter who's not, 
and uh, you know, there's their homeschooling taking place where she's supposed to be working and also supervising the school at home. And we talked about how she was trying to figure out how to, and, and, and thinking, well, I don't think I can ask that person because they're very busy. And I'm not sure I can ask this colleague because they've got a lot on their plate and I don't want to keep on asking. And we talked about, especially in that type of treadmill situation where we start to feel like, well, I just have to suck it up and I just got to figure it out, that she needs to bring it up the chain and say, this isn't working and I don't have anyone to ask to cover me and I need coverage. <laughs> and so even if we're not in these uh, more ideally, you know, we're, we're trying to create better work environments for ourselves, and we're in a, a situation, we need to actually find our voice and speak up and say, this isn't working or there's a need that's not met and I'm not sure what the answer is and can we find another way as opposed to just, we make it work and there's um, something that we've been talking about more and more where we talk about trauma and it's trauma is not, you know, it can be more widely defined as it's just too much for me or it's too fast for me. Or, it's, it's just too much at this time. And that's something that we normalize in medicine and we just deal with it. And there's a cost to putting on a brave face and moving forward. And that's um, a learning, a cultural learning that we can also unlearn. And we don't need to forget ourselves. We don't need to deny ourselves and we can honor ourselves and we can find our voice and we do that by supporting each other to to practice a new way of relating to self and other yeah thank you both for this advice and i i love how we're bringing the conversation into reaching out to others reaching out for support and um reva you talked a little bit about mentorship and i just wanted to revisit that for a moment because that's been one of our top priorities at ifm is creating opportunities for mentorship and i know georgia you do a lot of mentorship as well and i think it's really important that we kind of remove the the shame of saying, wow, I really want to actually take advantage of the collective experience of those who have come before me because that insight is really valuable and can help me be a better provider. So taking advantage of mentorship opportunities and just, you know, putting it out there, owning that it doesn't, you don't have to know all of the answers and that it can actually relieve some of your burnout if you use the tools and the resources that you have available. So just wanted to highlight the importance of mentorship and I love that you brought that up. Um, I want to shift a little bit and talk about how physician burnout might affect patient outcomes, right? Because who we're showing up as in the room can definitely, I think, play a role in how we interact with our patients. So Reva, let's start with you and get your thoughts on, you know, how, how does physician burnout affect the care? Are patients still getting quality care when their physician is burnt out? Oh, yeah, that is a fantastic question. So I think we all have a good idea what the answer is. <laughs> like patient outcomes are not going to be optimal whenever we're burnt out. So you know, flashing back to you know my residency days, I was completely detached. I was dehumanizing everyone because it was just like, uh, this next thing I need to get through before I can get home and just numb my pain. So like, we're not able to see this person, the human, we're not able to relate to them. We're not able to see those subtle signs that we normally would if we were connected to our own spirit. Because, you know, as doctors, as physicians, we're healers. And this is, yes, it's physical work we're doing, but it's also spiritual. You know, we're all connected as human beings and part of that. And what I love about, you know, functional medicine is like 
center of the matrix is matrix is mental, emotional, and spiritual factors. And so I think all of us who've been burnt out have, can recognize that mentally and emotionally and spiritually, we're just energetically bankrupt when you reach that point. And so we have no energy or insufficient energy to bring to our patients to aid their healing process. And so at that point in time during my residency, yes, I was able to check all the boxes, follow the protocols, do what I needed to do to get them discharged within a couple days, but were they truly healing? No. You know, I was doing status quo medicine and I didn't feel good about it. They didn't feel good about it because they were coming back into the hospital within a week or two and it was that same hamster wheel again. But, you know, fast forward to now and where I am today in a solo practice, like I have burnt out because I'm not because of any lack of connection to the people I'm serving or connection to myself, but it's the sense of, okay, I'm the administrator, I'm the marketer, I am the physician, I am all of these roles and it never ends, you know, and especially now that we're all working and living at home, it's like, where is that division of work (laughs) and life? There's that line is so much more blurred now. And so I've, you know, I'm grateful that I have the ability and have had the ability whenever I recognize I'm tiptoeing that line again towards burnout, I've had the ability to say, I need the space. Like I'm taking a one week mental health break. And because my patients understand the value of mental health, because I'm coaching them on it every single day, like I'm setting that example for them. And so like I've been able to bring myself the healing that I've needed whenever I've reached my limits, but it's very hard to do. You know, I was up against that limit and it was again, my mentor who had to tell me, take a week off. And I was like, oh, right. I can do that. (laughs) As I set the rules, you know, my practice is for me, of course, it's in service to my incredible patients, but I'm doing this work because I want to feel whole doing it. And whenever I reach that point where I start to feel depleted, it's my responsibility to take a step back and fill my own cup. And so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a constant re- re-evaluating process that I have to do to check in with myself to evaluate where am I to see, okay, am I okay to move forward or do, do I need to take a step back and preserve my energy so that I can keep this momentum going in the long run? Yeah, thanks for highlighting. It's not just the image that we present when we walk into the treatment room, but it's also modeling modeling for patients that things like boundaries and self-care exists and is important and is a priority. So thank you for that. Georgia, how about you? Any thoughts on how physician burnout can affect our our patients' outcomes? Yeah, so I think this is such a good question because there's this continuum, right? So on one end is burnout. We're, we're, We're not in a good place mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and there's this continuum. And then somewhere along the lines there, we're going through the motions or we're sort of keeping up or keeping up with our roles and expectations of ourselves and that our expectations from others. And there's this continuum. And I really feel like the full transition to functional medicine is a little bit farther along on this continuum where we're actually starting to embody in what Reva's talking about. We're talking about embodying health. 
and there's nonverbal messages and a lot communicated in an appointment. And it's partly, yes, I'm taking care of myself, self-care and the modeling, but there's something even more profound when we actually make a full transition to functional medicine and to integrative medicine. And like, how are we supposed to have a doctor-patient relationship if we're not present? And then it's not easy to be present. <laughs> there's a lot of competing um, uh, areas to attend to when we're in medicine. There's many things to keep track of and there's so many things to accomplish in an appointment. How are we supposed to also be embodied? Remember that we're connected and, and actually feeling and in ourselves while this is happening. This is not easy to do. So I just want to say I uh, agree with what Reva has shared about uh, it, it doesn't, it's not just it doesn't communicate and doesn't achieve the right outcomes. I think we're really missing the essential piece. It's like, I feel like the art of medicine does arise from the mind, body, spirit, the integration of the provider. So when we're mentoring, we want to be mentoring so that we're getting our questions answered and we're having a more dynamic understanding of where symptoms come from and how testing plays a role. And we have a deeper understanding for the body. And you know, the body doesn't lie and it's not wrong. We're not trying to fix it. We're trying to inquire and to learn from each patient. But there's also another aspect where I feel it goes hand in hand with mentoring and really learning the medicine and applying the medicine, which is the internal integration of the healthcare provider, of the doctor, of the nurse practitioner, of the physician, whoever is practicing the functional or integrative medicine. It's a personal healing process. It's a paradigm shift. We are the ones that are in the appointment. So we are defining who am I? What's my identity? Who are you, right? I'm the doctor you're here to get fixed, or I have the answers, you don't. This is about me giving you something or me taking care of and checking these boxes and then we're done. I define, no, that's one way to define medicine. I define the identity and what the transaction or the interaction is and what the relationship is and who you are. And I can't see you and I don't know who I am unless I also have that as part of my training curriculum. And the training curriculum is mentoring, but it's also a rite of passage and it's being a member of a peer community and also feeling like someone cares for me. I care for me, but I'm also being cared for. I'm not just a productivity unit. And that's why many of us transition to functional medicine is because we want a different quality of life and way of practicing and a, a, a medicine that reflects our values. And so I just wanna pair those together, the mentoring and the applied training with the internal shift and paradigm shift and the health and the honoring of ourselves which really is necessary and goes hand in hand to fully transition to functional medicine. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for connecting those dots for us. It reminds me of when I'm first introducing patients to the functional medicine matrix and I'm talking to them about all of the body systems. And so I'm showing them the nodes and I'm saying, I certainly care about your physiology. That is crucially important. But at the center of all of this is this mental, emotional, spiritual component, right? Your lived experience. So we care about what your labs say, but we also care about how you're walking through the world. And I think that kind of touches on what you just spoke about. It's like all of the, you know, the business aspect of it, right? Reva, you're doing all of these things. So the, the admin part of doing medicine is important, but also our lived experience as practitioners. Um, and so the, that sense of meaning and purpose, which is so vitally essential. And I would love to hear as we're coming to a close, as you both have worked through various stages of burnout and different practice settings, 
how do you remain anchored in your own purpose, especially, you know, with um, working in maybe a treadmill situation or being a, a, a sole provider and so you're, you're wearing all of the hats, how do we remain anchored into that sense of meaning and purpose? Georgia, we'll go ahead and start with you and love to hear your insight. Well, I had a lot of needs and uh, kind of figured out by stumbling through and, 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 and moving through my own personal development and clinical process, I kind of identified that there were some things I really would have appreciated um, being supported in and, and, and certain types of help. And so what I've done while I've evolved personally and as a business owner, I've tried to create those things for others by listening to what would I have really liked to have had during my early and middle and onward journey. And the daily meditation, so we have like these resources on our website where you can just sign in for free, just download, like you can just do your five minute recorded healthcare provider daily meditation. This is something that we're doing every day. We wanted to share those. So we noticed that those resources have been very helpful. Um, also, what I created about six years ago was a monthly group where I created it for myself. And it was a self-care focus. It's not a networking meeting. It's confidential and it's for healthcare providers. So we call it healthcare worker and integrated professional monthly group. And now because it's on Zoom and six months, we've been, you know, we have, um, what, what I feel it, it's an opportunity to actually practice mindset, address emotional health, create a sense of community, and I find it's my favorite thing to do every month and it feeds me and it feels like a soulful uh, activity that that's how I help to keep myself uh, oriented, fully oriented in the way that I'd like to be oriented. And also we've created some other free resources on our website. So we have a little kit, you can download your free kit and it's like a little bit of the blueprint for the things that are hard and the solutions and what's the potential for functional medicine and a little self-assessment and. And also we want to have more online retreats. We've had uh, retreats for healthcare providers since 2015. We want to have that place where it's safe to tell your story and also to practice the types of interacting, the relationships. And those relationships really last when we connect at that level. Um, I also wanted to mention another resource that um, the uh, uh, Functional Medicine Health Coaching Academy had offered. And that is because they are very much in support of addressing provider burnout. So they have an initiative called Work with a Health Coach Initiative, and they are offering six free or reduced cost sessions for the healthcare provider. Now you can also give one of these, a free set of these to a patient. And I hope that we remember to do this ourselves, that we do the health coaching. The health coaching is offered, that we do the health coaching. We don't just offer it, oh, there's these free sessions. Why don't you do these free health coaching sessions? And... <clears throat> The way to contact that is to go to functionalmedicinecoaching.org. Yeah, it sounds like you're really finding your purpose in, in sharing this work with others and helping to guide other practitioners to how they can live optimally healthy and still take care of patients. So that's great. How about you, Reva? How are you anchoring into your purpose to continue doing this work? Yes, I love this question so much as it can go in so many directions. It's infinite the ways that we can anchor ourselves and the journey is in figuring out you know what works best for us so i recently came up with this acronym for uh my morning routine which is like 
I think that this has been the most anchoring thing for me in staying connected to my work and my why is having my sacred space in the morning, my morning routine. And so the acronym that just came to me is PJAMS, pajamas. So prayer and uh, setting uh, setting an intention. So P I uh, have it, whether it's a religious prayer or simply just speaking to the universe, like this is what I need to get through this day, or this is what I'm feeling, and just like releasing that and saying this is where I would like to go. Because there are so many mornings I wake up and I'm sensing that sometimes dread, sometimes anxiety, whatever it may be, where I'm starting to drift away from that purpose it's like oh wait like I have everything I need within me already so it's just a matter of bringing myself back to that and so coming from religious background prayer is part of my morning routine but simply just saying like like today my intention was to step through this day with calm and peace and speak my truth and I i believe I've done a decent job bringing that so far, but it's, again, it's like a moment by moment thing, checking in with myself and seeing, am I connecting back to that intention? And so the prayer intention, the J is journaling. And so it might be doing 10 things I'm grateful for. Sometimes it's a little bit more of a struggle and I can only think of two, but (laughs) committing to getting something down on the paper so that I can see the abundance all around me. You know, there's going to be hard days. There's going to be days where you feel like nothing is going right. But if you commit to the practice, like you'll find that there are more things going right than wrong on a daily basis. It's just those wrong things are stickier and they stick to us. Whereas the good things, they tend to be a little bit more slippery and we forget how wonderful our life is even in the midst of all the chaos around us. So the J is journaling. The A is actually what I have right here in front of me, apple cider vinegar and water, like getting my body anchored, getting my, you know, gastric juices stimulated so that I can digest my food well and provide all the energy I need for my body. Um, That's something I struggle with so much is going through my day and not hydrating appropriately. And so if I can start my day and I'm a little bit delayed because here we are and I still haven't finished my morning routine, but (laughs) committing to the practice of knowing that like, okay, I'm going to make it through this bottle before this day is up and several more, but having at least that goal in mind of where I'm going with my body is so important because it's easy to leave our bodies behind whenever we get into the hustle of our day. And then the M is meditation. You know, I like to spend sometimes meditation. It might just be in complete silence. Sometimes I'll play one of my favorite meditation tracks. There's this heart meditation uh, that I love on the app I use this insight timer really great it's free I have no personal interest in them I just there's so many resources out there for meditation and so having a ritual of going to this one track day after day is so grounding I know you know at what point that I really drop in and I know how to regulate my breathing to the rhythm of the song and 
if I'm having a particularly stressful day, I might go back to that meditation several times, but getting my day started with it has been such an anchor for me and connecting my mind, body, and spirit and aligning myself. And then the final part is S, stretching. This morning, you asked like if we did our little like shake out before we got on the call today, I did some foam rolling, doing something. It might be some gentle stretching. It might be yoga. I haven't been in the gym as much lately because gyms are still closed here, but doing something so that my body can release the tension. I can get the blood flowing and just feel the power within myself is so key. And so between the elements of pajamas, prayer and intention, journaling, apple cider vinegar, meditation, and stretching, I've covered the mind, body, and spirit. And I'm walking through my day feeling completely aligned when I've done all of those. Beautifully spoken. Oh yeah, Georgia, go ahead. And I, um, I think I, I'd love to follow in Reva's shoes and also say that some things that are really important to me that I've had to learn how to do are to plan my day. Um, I do have that quiet, sacred time in the morning and I do meditate every day. So one thing I didn't do as routinely was actually look at the day and say, what's really important for me? And so I'm pretty good at having lunch, but is the lunch rushed? Am I breathing? Do I actually see people <laughs> when I'm sitting next to them and sharing, sharing uh, that lunch meal? So planning my day and maybe even deciding at the beginning, you know, it's really important for me to have a, a little bit more time when I'm having lunch today. Like let's look at looking at what's important today and some of those transitions or priorities. And I have a bunch of patients in the morning and then I could dive right in and do patient messaging or write in and address email or write in and address projects or look at all the questions that are coming in from the rest of the team members and the providers. So now after I do my patient care, I have in my schedule, I wanna take a break. I wanna stand up, I'm doing telemedicine. I need to walk around before I dive right back in and just keep on loading up tasks. Uh, being uh, Going to bed on time and just identifying that I want to remember to do that has helped me. It's amazing how things can actually shift and feel different and be possible because I'm changing and I'm so heartened by that. Um, now, some things that I have not accomplished and I'm working on are actually exercising every day. So I do exercise, but do I really exercise and get the steps in every day? No. And am I perfect at the end of the day, finishing it when I'm supposed to end it? No. So I'm working on those. And I really love what, what uh, Reva said about we forget the good things that happen every day. We have these beautiful experiences or these exchanges or just someone reaches out with such compassion or someone says something to me and I think, wow, do I really let that land and do I remember that? And it's easy to forget all those wonderful moments. And it's important for me to somehow savor and, and safeguard and, and prioritize those in my memory and my experience because I can remember a lot of other things throughout the day, but do I remember those joys and pleasures? I had a, just, a, like a, just a paragraph, very brief poem that I'd love to share. Something yeah, that let's... we sometimes share in the monthly healthcare providers group. And I just love that group. I hope that people will consider joining. It's the first Mondays of the month from 8 to 9.30, which is, there's never a good time to have a healthcare provider group because we're working. But it is at 8 o'clock in the morning. It's not recorded, so you have to attend. And I'm really wanting to share that heart-centered connection and letting down, but also 
This is a poem that we sometimes share in that. And this is a, by Martha, Martha Postlewaite. And the name of the poem is called Clearing. And it says, create a clearing in the dense forest of your life and wait there patiently until the song that is your life falls into your own cupped hands and you recognize and greet it. Only then will you know how to give yourself to this world so worthy of rescue. So worthy of rescue. Thank you. That was a beautiful way to close. Thank you both so much for sharing your truths with us. I want to honor the vulnerability that comes with having these types of discussions and what we kind of call these crucial conversations. So um, as physicians, we just want to take care of people. And as rewarding as that is, it does come with a certain amount of pressure. The world at large is grappling with this COVID-19 pandemic. And in many ways, healthcare providers are bearing the brunt of that with increased work pressure, increased demand, expected to work long hours. So these insights that you both have shared from your experience are more important and more relevant today than ever. Thank you both so much for being with us. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. To join the conversation on this topic, visit IFM's pages on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about functional medicine, visit ifm.org.